Hello, hello, Martians. Welcome back to another episode of Marketing on Mars. Today, I'm super excited. We usually get founders, CEOs, and CMOs come on the show, but today, we still got a, co- a founder and a CEO, but he works for a venture capital firm. So we're going to see a completely different take of marketing. Questions will be different. They'll be hard, but they'll be very, very different. Um, I- I'm super excited to have you, Andrew. So uh, just going to give you a, a quick, uh, the viewers, like kind of a quick 10-second intro. So GrowthX is a company uh, you're the founder and CEO of. You've helped over 500 founders, over 50 countries, raise over $100 million, right? And you've been in in VC Mm -hmm. for about seven years now. Tell us a little bit about GrowthX and kind of your journey and how how you started GrowthX and, um, you know, just kind of your, your, your journey as a venture capitalist. Sure. Well, I've been working with, and well, first of all, let me just start by expressing my gratitude. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. I appreciate the opportunity to speak to the Martians, and I think we're going to do some hot oh, sauce thanks. as well. I, I fear we'll be doing <laughs> some hot sauce along this journey together. Um, we will. We will. I've been blessed to be working with entrepreneurs for over 20 years. I, I actually started my career when the internet was first commercializing, and I've been sitting sitting at a variety of the seats around the entrepreneurial table um, uh, as a as a as a corporate lawyer. Uh, working with early stage companies like Salesforce when it was first founded. Um, I was inside of DoubleClick uh, before Google acquired us. Um, I've been an intrapreneur inside of large companies. Um, And of course, yeah, now I'm also a founder having founded GrowthX. I've founded some other companies too, but GrowthX is what I've been doing since 2015. I am a founder of GrowthX. And we are a group of go-to-market experts based in Silicon Valley when we founded it, based in rising cities now, but a group of go-to-market experts that came to venture from their perspective of, of solving that most vexing problem that founders face, which is not how to build their product, but how to build their market. And in doing so, we learn a lot about them and hopefully we earn the right to invest. Yeah, no, that's amazing. And so, so for, so for you, I'm just just going through, yeah, going going through your your past experience. You're you're doing a bunch of things right now. Um, so many different organizations that tr- that go to you for marketing expertise. How many companies, if you can kind of even count, how many companies are you working with nowadays? On a, I mean, on simultaneously, a right now, it's definitely hundreds. I don't I don't have the exact yeah. number. Um, wow. I mean. You know, we're all over the map geographically, but we're only doing one thing and we're doing it better than anybody else. And that is we're helping to create real revenue results for early founders um, and creating investable insights for funders. All right. So we're going to get into it. We're going to get into everything GTM, go to market. We're going to learn a little bit more about Growth X. But first, let's start off with a little shot of hot sauce. What do you got for us today? I've got some Queen Majesty red, red habanero and black coffee hot sauce, which is, it's got heat, but it actually also has a delicious flavor. All right. But Same you. here. I got a, I got Tortuga Gordo. They, these guys are from Portland. Amazing nice. hot sauce. I, I went there for a trip and I just got a whole box of these, these. So I've just been killing myself 
weekly with, with these. That's things. good. I mean, I, I presume you're a fan of, of Sean Evans and hot ones. I, I do yep. have a bottle of the bomb, but I absolutely was not going to bring it out for this conversation. Oh, oh yeah. We'll do it for a, a different conversation. Not for our first one, but here Very short I got one some. We do. Right, I'm doing a little bit of this, but we'll start out together. Cheers. All right. Cheers. Oh. <laughs> Are you a hot sauce lover? Do you like hot sauce? You know, I do. I love hot sauce a lot. I have to tell you, though, in the words of my two teenage daughters, I am suffering from general oldness uh, these days. <laughs> <laughs> and so I have uh, I've developed this case of heartburn, oh, which I got to tell no. you, my doctor did not approve of this podcast. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. So the hottest, uh, so recent, so I guess this happened recently, I assume, or it is. It's unfortunately recently. It sucks because I really do love hot yeah. sauce. Um, wow! You know, in, in fact, I'm a I'm an avid watcher of hot ones. I'm a huge Sean Evans fan. I actually think he's one of the best journalists available right now. And every oh, yeah. time I watch an episode of his, I have to go out and get hot wings. I just, I can't help it every time I do. And I keep pushing it. And that's when I got the bomb is to try that. But yeah. um, it hurts. It's just, it hurts, it, eh? It's oh, pain. Yeah, that, that one is, it's literally beyond insanity. I mean, I don't understand how the people on that show do it because I will take a drop of it and put it in like a bowl of risotto or a bowl of done. sauce for the chicken wing. Yeah. And it's murderous. How you eat an entire yeah. chicken wing that way. And by the way, continue to ask Sean's amazingly thoughtful questions. Oh. Beyond me. He's amazing. He definitely is. Definitely someone he's a that I love. Yeah, I definitely uh, look up to him for that. So hopefully the questions today will be somewhat similar. It's not going to be to his level, but I'm just a curious soul. I'm going to be asking a lot of questions, tough questions. Good. And anytime, if you can't answer a question, we'll just turn on the light here. <laughs> and that's hot sauce time. That's All right. The, that's the drill. So All right. let, let's, let's dive right into it. So go to market. Yeah. A lot of people have different concept, uh, uh, ideas of what go to market is, yeah. what it takes to, to do well, what's a good yeah. GTM strategy. What are yeah. your thoughts? You've seen hundreds of different... Uh, Startups, different yeah. companies succeed yeah. and fail. To you, what what is go to market? Well, let's let's so let's talk about go to market. Let's talk about product market fit. Let's start with what it's not, because this is really important. Yeah. Product market yeah. fit is not revenue, right? Product market fit uh, is 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 five very is you know five objective things. But what what's really important to understand is that. Um, Having product market fit is not synonymous with having revenue. Uh, mm -hmm. Revenue is obviously and unquestionably one of the indicators of product market fit, but it's not dispositive of having product market fit. And in fact, in our experience, the leading false positive of product market fit is revenue. And by the way, it comes from people like me. Venture capitalists who say, hey, if you have a million of ARR, come talk to a Series A investor. Yeah. But you've got to get intimate. So that so it's so what it's not is just some revenue number. 
let's let's talk though about you know where we find probably the the biggest and most common fatal mistake when going to market, and that is throwing spaghetti at a ceiling and just seeing what sticks. I mean, if you think about the path to product and how founders build products systematically with frameworks um, and code repositories and languages, we just need to follow that same path when we're going to market. And so a, a common mistake that founders will make when going to market is they're focused on the top of their funnel when what they should be doing is focused on the bottom of their funnel. Top of the funnel, right? You got to be careful of your signal to noise ratio. And so by focusing on the bottom of the funnel, which is really defining what your signal is, when you actually go to fill the top of your funnel, you've got less noise. And so going to market counterintuitively doesn't mean going after your entire total addressable market with all those trailing zeros. Counterintuitively, actually what it means is disqualifying the vast majority of your total addressable market to figure out who for now is the purest source of signal to get the flywheel turning. Right. So finding your uh, compelled buyers, right? The small subset, the, the, the guys that would actually see your, see your product and your messaging and be like, you know what? I, I want that product or service. Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah. I mean, in the, in the, the language of go to market, we call it your ideal customer profile. And by the yeah, way, this is not a persona. You can't yeah. go to market with persona. Persona are for idea stage founders. When you're going to market and you're literally in search of product market fit, you got to have an ICP. A, a persona is like the air traffic control tower telling the pilot what range of, of altitude between like 25 and 26 and a half thousand feet to fly in. But you don't go to market that way. An ICP is you've landed the plane, you're on the ground, you're in the weeds. You are literally intimate with the keystrokes of a person as they do their job and mm-hmm. and, and come across uh, problems that you can help them solve. Yeah, wow. So you've seen hundreds of different companies in various different sizes. For you, what is... What size do you? What size company do you like to focus on? I mean, you, you talked a lot about profit, uh, pro, like PMF, product market fit. Talked about GTM. Is there like a sweet spot for you? For yeah, I mean, our, you and the team. Our sweet, our sweet spot is not really the number of people, although it's you know it's typically something under ten people, just because the yeah. stage relevancy of those people. You know, especially for us, we're primarily software investors. We we help companies okay. of every industry, every sector. We help hardware, we help software, we help deep tech, we help all of it. Where we invest is B two B SaaS. You know, right. it, in the age of applied technology, you know, reducing it to something you know simple that's like a lie to Java applied to a different use case. You're not inventing anything. So the amount of people you need to have on your team from a product perspective is relatively small. And frankly, if they even have one market person, I'm, I'm surprised at. So for us, it's not really the, the number of, of actual people at the company, but the stage. You have an MVP, but you don't have product market fit. That's where we're going to be the most relevant investors you'll ever meet. Right. And so they're, they're quite early stage then. 
they don't have very early stage. They might be pre-revenue because again, for us, revenue is just a completed learning cycle. Um, we can still, our help is, is, is equally as powerful, whether you're pre-revenue or post-revenue, it's just post-revenue companies have a little more material to work with. So we can accelerate some of the first few steps in product market fit, but we, we look at both pre and post-revenue. Okay. So, so let's talk about it. You, you guys are going to help with PMF and, and GTM. What, what is, what are some of the secrets, uh, because you you deal in one area which is B two B SaaS, you you must have a playbook. So what are like the two, three, or or however many like key things that you need to do as a early stage B two B SaaS company to find your PMF? Yeah, and and by the way, this is you know again our in our current fund is only investing in B two B SaaS. We're actually raising another fund now, but we work with companies of of every type something that you mentioned yeah. early on we have a pretty strong wide area network of founders because the way it works mm-hmm. with growthx and I'll, I'll get to your question is we get invited early into rising cities because that's that's also something i should have mentioned is we invest mm-hmm. in founders in rising cities and we also have an extremely strong bias in favor of women founders we get invest we get invited early into rising cities by economic development agencies uh local investors accelerators tech hubs and we get invited in to help them solve their commercialization gap right founders understand how to go to product they don't know how to go to market we get brought in to help them actually do that and in the process we're discovering investment opportunities. So we're actually working with and helping. Our playbook is industry and sector agnostic because the path to product market fit is industry and sector agnostic. Now, to your question, the best way I can answer it is to tell you and the audience of Martians that product market fit is not a feeling. Right? You never want to bring feelings to a data fight. No, no. Product market fit is the outcome of five very specific and objective things. And so if I was to reduce it down to the most practical advice, you know, for your founders that are listening today, again, back to focusing on the signal and not just filling the top of your funnel with a bunch of noise, Mm -hmm. the most important things you can do are one, you've got to narrowly define your customer type and your use case. That is the ICP. Right. And so, again, contrary to what might feel like common sense, um, what you don't want to be doing is just selling to anybody who will buy your product. You need to determine, as you called it, the compelled buyer. You need to find out the characteristics of the economic buyer who, for reasons you'll uncover in the process, not only have the problem, but it's acute. Not only is it acute, but they prioritize it and they're looking to solve it. If it is not on their list of top 10 things to solve this year, you you should go find another use case or another company, right? You've literally got to be one of those priorities. And it's really important that rather than just selling to anybody who will give you money, you figure out the people who are the most in need, who are the most willing, the most ready the most able and not just to pay for it, 
but to realize the value that you're promising them. And again, so that first step, that ideal customer profile, it's not about looking for who Mr. or Ms. Wright is. It's about looking for who Mr. or Mrs. Wright now is. Okay. Mm -hmm. So step one, narrowly defined use case and customer type. And by the way, I'll get through these quickly and we can go into it as much of it as you want in detail. Yeah. Now the next thing again is once you've, define that use case and that customer type, that's not, okay, time to fill the funnel, let's go out and run an email campaign. No, you really all you wanna do is start with one satisfied customer that fits that use case. And then you wanna try to repeat it with roughly three or five customers that not only fit the, the type of customer in the use case, but you also wanna be you know, following a similar customer acquisition process, right? Mm -hmm. You want to start, as you mentioned, a playbook. You want to be building your playbook. You want to be focusing on the adjectives and not the nouns of the situation that you're in, the problem that you solve, the people that you help, such that every time you do it, you're actually getting better at it. So now we're talking beyond ICP. We're talking value proposition, selling proposition. We're talking market messaging. We're talking about the attraction framework. We're talking about the business case. We're talking about the pricing model. Uh, we're talking about the customer mm -hmm. journey. We're talking about the actual touch points to customer acquisition along what we call the sales complexity matrix. If those are fairly random and yet your revenue is going up, as a savvy venture investor, you'll get no credit for that revenue. Again, it's not just about the threshold of how many dollars you have in the bank account. I need to start to see those patterns being recognized. You need to be approaching something that can become repeatable and yes, especially B2B SaaS, predictable. So you've got a narrowly defined use case. You've got a narrowly defined customer type. You have three to five customers who are satisfied that fit that narrow use case and you followed a somewhat similar process, learning and getting better each time to actually acquire those customers. Well, now the other thing is you've got to make sure that if you took your product or service away, <laughs> that customer would want to fight you, right? Mm -hmm. it, you don't have product market fit just because you're landing customers that really don't care that much about the problem you're solving for them. Mm -hmm. So before, again, mm -hmm. before you go scaling at the top of your funnel, and just trying to drastically increase your revenues, you still don't need scale. Scale should not be in your vocabulary. You've got to now start poking and prodding the few customers you have and make sure that they're not just happy, right? They actually have to kick and scream if you'll take your product away. And not just that, but they have to know and be able to express to you the very specific and objective reasons why they would be upset if they lost access to your product. And of course, finally, it's got to be economically rational, right? So your LTV CAC has to be, you know, more than one. If you've done those five things, and again, we're only talking about maybe having three, maybe four customers total. If you've done those five things, now you can start thinking about scaling. So, you know, the, the challenge of course is, most founders don't know that. We venture investors shove the, the term go to market down their throat. We force them to go find product market fit, but we don't teach them how to do it. They don't know how to do it. 
And so what they're doing is they're just getting more revenue. They're not thinking about those objective steps. Okay. So if I were to recap, you got to define your customer in a use case. You got to build out a good, strong messaging value proposition, good pricing model, understood and well-defined customer journey. And then the, the numbers have to make sense. LTV to CAC ratio has to be positive. Yeah, and don't forget too that it's it's got to be something that's sticky. It's got to be something that the, the customers, you know, aren't going yeah. to, you know, let go without, you know, fighting you, right? And again, it none of this is meant to be academic and it can't be ambiguous, right? Again, like yeah. how many founders do you talk about having happy customers, right? Customer satisfaction is not a feeling. It's an objective yeah. outcome. So, I mean... I guess the, the 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 best way that we like to encapsulate it is everything I said was about solving for the bottom of the funnel, not the right. top of the funnel. You got to yeah. solve for the bottom of the funnel before you start doing scalable things. Yeah. Is there an LTV to CAC ratio that attracts you now? Because the cost of acquisition for online ad costs are going through the roof they're going they're 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 at all-time highs and they're continuously going up and it's getting more competitive talk about the b2b SaaS play it's it's flooded there so many companies kind of competing for similar keywords so your cpa is is, is higher than ever is there a certain ltv to cac ratio that you like and that when you see and you're like okay this is a good ratio i want to maybe put some money into this company or I want to invest in this company because it's such a good. Yeah. I mean, yes and no. Right. So we're savvy B2B investors. You know, we understand where we see a three, four or five to one CAC LTV and a B2B SaaS that we're starting to look at something that's performing in the top decile range of B2B yeah. SaaS. But don't forget too, yeah. you know, one of the reasons that we're B2B investors and not B2C investors is, is typically with B2B, you have more LTV to spend on CAC. And so right. what's typical with B2C because of the high volume, low cost is it's not so much a LTV question as it is a CAC question. You And there, you know, this term growth hacking, right, that Sean Ellis yeah. came up with many years ago and Andrew popularized yeah. The more boring way to say that is touchless online conversion. And that's because B2C founders need to be focusing on near zero or zero cost of acquiring in order for there to be able to be scale. A, because their model might be volume before they can charge anything, or it's just because the price of their product doesn't afford them that opportunity to experiment, as we mentioned yeah. before, cost to sales complexity matrix. So exactly. for us... And again, this is something that will be very industry and sector specific because we would rather purposefully push a customer, a, a founder's uh, CAC up if we can, in an economically rational way, kick them into a, a higher bracket of LTV. But, but frankly, honestly, the, the real reason I kind of answered it with, which is kind of no, is because the stage in which we invest I mean, let's be honest, right? It's no early, founder, super early, yeah. No founder pre-product market fit can talk about their CAC LTV. Like, it's like there, there's 
There's only one thing that I know as a seed stage investor with 100% certainty, and that is the numbers in your business model are wrong. Like that's literally the only fact that I have at the seed stage. So I'm, we don't look to find the magical CAC LTV when we're looking to invest. We're looking for the, the magic, the, excuse me, the, the, the logic and the learning that is going to ultimately lead to that. And so, mm-hmm. you know, if I asked you how much does a triple seven way or a 787 Dreamliner way, unless you're an aviation nut, and I'm assuming you're not, you have no clue. So you're just going to throw some number out. Well, yeah, it's not the number I care about. What I want to see you do is I want to see you explain to me your logic. And so if you said to me, well, it has two engines and each engine weighs a ton. I don't give a shit that it has four engines and each weigh two tons or half a ton. I want to hear you logic this Just out. Just how right? you think about it. Yeah. Right. It has um, The plane has 150 rows. Each row has six seats. Each seat weighs 100 pounds. I want it. That's where we decide to invest is are you following a logic? Are you avoiding bringing feelings to a data fight? Are you being scientific? Are you being systematic? Are you forming hypotheses or just taking what the military calls a swag, a strategic wild ass guess, right? (laughs) And so I, I think your question is a great one too, because it's about the stage relevancy. So founders, you know, your audience, um, who's listening, if they're in rising cities around this country and world, and they don't necessarily have the prominence of venture, like in Palo Alto, where I was living when I founded GrowthX, they might be working with investors that are wealthy and successful, but don't really understand the venture asset class. Exactly. And so they may be asking stage irrelevant questions of that founder. And to me, that becomes a violent relationship. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So when you talk about rising cities, what are your what are your favorites right right now? What are what are Andrew's favorites? In, in, well, I mean, I, you know, cities? honestly, I would say probably you know I live in Nashville, so it's got to be one of my favorites. I moved my family from Palo Alto to Nashville. Um, okay. We're extremely active in Alberta, Canada, and I'm happy to talk about why I think Alberta is a leading example of how. Um, economic development and the agencies and the government in charge of economic development are making the smartest, thoughtful, long-term decisions about how entrepreneurism can fuel the economy, can create jobs, etc. So Alberta is going to be top of my list. Indianapolis, Indiana, I will tell you, it's going to be absolutely one of the top on my list. They have attracted the right experienced, talented people Mm. to take the roles, to do the work, to understand, to to rally uh, the politicians and to rally the private sector to, to, again, make good, thoughtful um, uh, infrastructure and long-term types decisions. And listen, it's a testament to Indianapolis, Indiana, right? What's one of the challenges that a lot of ecosystems innovation have? What's the one of the challenges that corporations have? 
it's very hard if you are a large, slow-moving company or political entity to attract entrepreneurs. Us, we entrepreneurs don't want to work in that environment, right? Mm -hmm. And and the incentives aren't there and, and it's not moving fast enough and there's a lot of red tape. Well, Indianapolis is, and Indiana as a state has done a marvelous job of actually attracting some extraordinary people who are now leading the charge there in economic development, you know, in, wow. in, in gathering the information that needs to be gathered to make the decisions on what public-private partnerships look like. So Indianapolis is, is, is absolutely, um, you know, another, another rising city that I would also add to my list. Amazing. And is it, is it just that uh, these, three, these three cities have historically not grown so much in the tech, in the tech world? And so, and, well, and, and there's a lot more opportunities. So using Nashville as an example, there's a storied history in health tech. I mean, the for-profit hospital was invented here by the Frist family, HCA, Hospital Corporations of America. The progenitor of HCA, they have spawned literally hundreds and hundreds of health tech companies. There are tremendously experienced um, health tech investors here. There are people here who have intimate working knowledge of the complexities and problems of the healthcare system, which makes them amazing entrepreneurs to solve those problems. Um, and, and now we're also diversifying that basket and we're bringing in wonderful SaaS investors and SaaS founders and Web3 founders and Web3 investors. Another area, um, yeah. Logistics. Uh, D to C. There's a lot of wonderful things happening in Nashville because I think Nashville embodies the future. It, it embodies the characteristics. If, if you want to think ecosystem, think the nutrients of a soil that begets a healthy ecosystem. Mm. It's all happening here. And we have some of the, the wonderful virtuous cycle happening in Nashville. It's an it city. Um, it's not a hardship posting. Young people want to move here. The favorite sons and the favorite daughters are going to college and moving back here. People are coming here to go to Fisk, to go to Belmont, to go to Va Vanderbilt, you know, to, to go to um, Tennessee Tech, and they're staying. They're not coming and leaving. Uh, that's why it's called the it's, it's called the Athens of the South because of all of the institutes of higher education that we have. If you think about the music industry and what's happening here, I would say there's a density of population of entrepreneur per capita here that rivals Silicon Valley. Now, yeah. the entrepreneurs here self-identify as songwriters and publishers and studio musicians, et cetera. But these are makers. The maker class is as vibrant in Nashville as it is in Silicon Valley. Maybe not so much with those that tinker with code, but make no yeah. mistake, in terms of the, the soil of entrepreneurism, it has been here it's for a there. long time. Yeah. And now it also has everything else that is matching the trends of what your generation is looking for, for how they and you want to live a whole life each day. And I think, frankly, Nashville has all of that going for it. But it also has, at its root, some of the best health tech you'll find anywhere in the country and world. 
And I think Indianapolis has experienced something of that same thing. I mean, look what happened with Exact Target when Salesforce bought it. And that's created a, a wonderful flywheel that started Turing because that capital stayed in the community. I mean, look what Dan Gilbert did in Detroit. Another amazing, amazing example of a rising city with a, with a, with a Quicken loan and how that's, and, and, and a Dan Gilbert who was, de- was dedicated to making it happen more and more in Detroit. Um, I think you see that with the exact target founders in Indianapolis. And, and that wonderful flywheel that has started turning, that's now really exploded. You're also seeing that in Louisville, Kentucky, by the way. You're seeing it in Cincinnati, Ohio, the, the, the foot of uh, Procter & Gamble, and so CPG. You're seeing it in Chattanooga, Tennessee, with 3PL and logistics because of the history that's there. I think you're see- part, of, part of what you're seeing to your question are communities that are first and foremost playing to their strengths rather than trying to be the Silicon Valley of blank and replicating the characteristics in Silicon Valley that not only don't necessarily apply to Chattanooga and Alberta and Nashville, but why should they? We have have so many things going for us here in Nashville that Silicon Valley is jealous of why do we want to give up that quality of life? You know, why do we want to give up that richness and diversity of our existence and the people here um, in order to try to replicate something that was someone else's success? And I, I love what you said there. And it's, it, it applies to cities, but it also applies to people and companies. Just having your own voice and just being honest to yourself. Mm-hmm. And the last thing is you guys also got some killer hot sauce there, too. In, in, in Nashville. So you got another thing going for you. We do. We've got some hot chicken. I mean, I, I have had some hot chicken in this town that just ruined me. Like literally. You'll have to give me some recommendations when I, I will. I'll give, I'll give you some yeah. offline record. And if you, and if you come to town, I will, I'll take you to some places that I guarantee will make you sweat. Oh, I love hot food. Okay. Before we end off. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about one last part that we didn't talk about, which is go to market. So yeah. what are your, you must have a playbook for 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 B2B SaaS. I've 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 also worked with a lot of B2B SaaS companies in the past. I would love to pick your brain. What do you think are like there are different steps, right? And when we go to market, you can't just jump to kind of like PMF, you can't just jump to, you know, step 5 without going through the steps. Things have to happen. To you, what are the the, the major steps in in GTM? Well, again, I'm, I'm, I'm going to just go back to the drum that we beat constantly and that's ideal customer profile. And I just, I can't repeat it enough and I can't stress it enough. It is literally the bedrock of the path to product market fit. It right. is the, not going through the rigors of ICP or whatever name you want to call it is literally the leading cause of demise of founders when going to market. Because again, if you're not taught how to go to market systematically, it's common sense to just start filling the top of your funnel. But you end up wasting your limited time and your resources by not focusing on the characteristics of a sub-segment of your total addressable market 
Who are the ones who are right now most right. acutely, you know, sensing and having the problem, who prioritize it, who want to solve it, and who are a good fit for where your product is, not your product roadmap, but your product. So, you know, honestly, if there's one message that I would I would beat over and over and over on the drum and get into the heads of your founders is is spend your time figuring out what first market, what initial market, what small sub-segment of your market you can most efficiently learn from and cross the chasm into that later stage adopter of revenue before you just start trying to, to, to sell all over the map. It, it really is. I can't tell you how many founders who have SDRs and BDRs and are running outbound email campaigns and oh, have yeah. all these outbound tools and, and call rail campaigns and all these things that are meant for founders that have already solved their source of signal. The one quick story I'll tell you that I tell every founder is to make this point. And for those of you who in the audience who are golfers, I'm a, I'm a lifetime bad golfer. I am. I'm, I'm proudly a bad golfer, which means, by the way, my golf clubs are like 25 years old. So what happens the first time I play with anybody on that first tee box? I pull out my driver and for seven or eight minutes I get harassed. <laughs> because I've got a 25 plus year old driver. The technology is completely outdated. The driver head is probably a quarter of the size of everybody else's driver head. And of course, everybody else in my foursome wants me to use their driver to hit off the tee box. And my answer is always the same. And this is my advice to your founders. If I took their driver, the only thing that would happen is I would hit my ball farther into the woods, right? I've got to learn to hit it straight. That's what I need to focus on. It may not be as sexy as buying the latest technology and looking to scale my drive, but until I know how to hit it straight down the fairway, I have no business with a new driver the mistake that we see founders make all the time is the allure of the feature and function, the allure of the scaled outbound, the allure of the top of the funnel, but they're just hitting that ball and more balls farther into the woods. Let's, let's get it down the middle first. Wow. That is amazing. Um, on that note, I think that's it for our conversation today. I mean, this was a fantastic conversation. I enjoyed we'll it. Have to have to get you back. Just to talk about GTM, I mean, we spent half the conversation talking about PMF, which is amazing. And then there's a second piece that is so important to generating revenues, which is your go-to-market strategy. We'll dive into that. We'll have to get you on for part two. I would, be, jump I, off, would be grateful to, I would be grateful to come back. And what I'd say yeah. is, you know, to your audience quickly is go to growthx.com slash blog. We have a continuum of resources that are not just the written word trying to make us look smart. It's, it's not just the written word, but it's also videos and it's downloadable templates and it's playbooks and it's exercises. We help you do the work of go to market. And in doing that, we're looking to earn the right to invest in you. So go check out our continuum of expert resources, avail yourself of them. And every one of our resources comes with an invitation from us and a promise. And that is if you reply, if you share out the work you're doing and ask for help, we'll help you. Don't send us your pitch deck. 
send us your ICP workshop and we can provide you feedback. And from there, we can build a relationship. So check us out. If it looks like a good fit, we'd really love to hear from you. Okay. You beat me there. I was just going to say what's, what's going on with GrowthX. But yeah, we'll definitely have your links in, the, in your, your link in the show notes. Shall we good. do a goodbye shot of hot sauce? I guess we should. We You're the some, host. If you're saying we do some, it, we do it. All right. Let's do this. And maybe I will. Let's let's test out this strobe light because I've got this new strobe light. It's hot sauce time. That's what my stomach's going to feel like in about a second. <laughs> Cheers to you and yeah. all the founders. Andrew. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. <laughs> Thanks for coming on. I promise next time we'll... Um, are you a whiskey drinker or... Yes, I am. Bourbon. Maybe we'll maybe we'll try that instead of this. This is... Uh, that that gotta, would make me a whole lot happier. <laughs> I got to take a break from this. <laughs> but appreciate you so much, Andrew. I loved all your I mean, tips. Thank for, you for inviting me on. This has been great. And anytime I can come back, you know I'll join you. All right. Thank you so much. Appreciate your time.